Welcome back to Voice of Reason Radio. We are back. <laughs> I wanted to say welcome once again, but we've been gone for a while. <laughs> Folks, welcome back to Voice of Reason Radio. Uh, I am Chris Honholtz, uh, along with my good friend and brother in Christ, Richard Story. We are so grateful to be back with you after really what has been about a little over a month hiatus. Uh, there were issues that came up that we had to face, uh, as everyone does. We all have uh, challenges in life that pop up. And while it was nothing that was end of the world, it was it. we needed to have time and focus on those things. And so um, it's interesting when Rich and it goes through something. On one hand, it doesn't take long before I'm going through something, and then vice versa. So um, poor Rich was kind of out of the loop for uh, about a month or so prior to that. As you guys well know, we did have to do some solo episodes, and we had to do some uh, some uh, re- uh, rewind episodes, which you guys were very gracious to 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 engage and listen to. We're so uh, so appreciative of that. And then it, you know, some of you did reach out and ask how we we're doing, making sure everything was okay. But you guys were patient with us. Nobody getting upset. Nobody getting angry. Everybody getting, uh, really just giving us the time we needed to go th- and deal with those personal issues in life that we were challenged with. And um, thank you. We are, we are so grateful that all of you have been so patient with us. And while this won't by any means be, we joked about it, Rich posted this, maybe we'll go four hours because it's been so long. Uh, we won't do that to you. We won't torture you for that long. Uh, but we just wanted to bring, come back and spend some time with you talking about the things of God. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, been, I'm a little rusty at this, but I think I can remember how all this goes. We are part of the Christian podcast community. We always encourage you to check out the various programs on there. Uh, one of which that I've been listening to a lot lately because, well, we'll get into why I've been able to listen to it more in just a minute. But uh, one of which is Squirrel Chatter, done by our good friend Gene Clyatt from up in Montana, does a daily program. And he has a lot of not only uh, you know Bible readings and, and, and studies through uh, co- books of common prayer and, uh, and theology, uh, uh, days where he does specific theology, but he even talks about current political issues and everything from a biblical perspective. So really encourage you to go check out Squirrel Chatter. I've been blessed for the times that I get to spend with Gene in the mornings uh, when he airs that. It's about He airs that at about 6.30 Pacific time. You can catch him on, uh, I think he does a live stream on both Twitter, excuse me, X, whatever you want to call it. I call it Twitter. Uh, it's still Twitter. I don't care what Elon calls it. Uh, and uh, I think it even streams on Facebook. So if you follow him on there, you can see it, but he is part of Christian podcast community. I really encourage you to spend time on there. Want to remind you, we still have a, uh, we still have a website slave to the king.com. Now that I have some more time on my hands, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I'm hoping to maybe get back into writing something I've always promised you guys and have always been bad about getting into. (laughs) So, so the, uh, you know, you can, it's kind of your one-stop shop to keep track of the podcast, to get in touch with us. Uh, Rich has an idea about adding a prayer request uh, contact link. We will see if that's something I can figure out how to do because 
your IT department is me. So, <laughs> and when there are issues, and we had issues tonight, I'll talk about that too. Um, when there are issues, it's typically me on this end trying to figure everything out because we don't have a staff. Uh, it, you know, at least James White has Rich Pierce. Rich Pierce knows what he's doing on all those things. Rich and I have no clue. It's if it wasn't for some godly brethren who help us out uh, quite often. Um, we'd probably be doing this with uh, tin cans and string. So <laughs> I'll try to see if that's something I can get implemented because I think Rich has a great idea with that. Um, but it's how you can contact us. It's how you can follow us. It's how you can share the program with others. And so we would certainly encourage you to do that. So thank you again for your patience. Thank you for taking the time again to listen to us. Um, Rich, I, I haven't said this in forever. How you doing this week, brother? Oh, and as always, better than I deserve, brother. As you were talking, I got to thinking, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we have recorded together since August. So it's been three months yeah. since you and I did a show together. And I, you know, we were, it wasn't a rerun or something like that. And as you said, there's just been a lot going on in both of our lives, um, I won't go into any details, but I have several family members I would ask our listeners to keep in prayer, two of which, one is my wife and one is my daughter, and then there's some other family members. There's just been some health issues going on, and I had some myself, but so glad to be back with you, brother. And I don't know if I told you this or not. I had a message from a listener who's a dear brother of both of us, um, it was just the other day they were asking if our hiatus was because of what you just recently <laughs> accomplished, and um, it just happened to fall in the midst of our little vacation break, hiatus, sabbatical, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but it had to do with your job status and the fact that someone is now as a Twitter, Twitter, whatever friend has pointed out, since now you and I both are feral retirees, <laughs> why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I am officially retired from law enforcement status as of November 4th, 2023. Um, anybody that's kind of paid attention to the countdown got quite a shock when I started changing the, the countdown number of days. And what had happened was I was actually set for February 2nd retirement date. And partly because of these challenges that we were facing um, and, the, you know, just the variety of stress in life, including what law enforcement brings into a person's life. My wife and I sat down and we looked at the, uh, the numbers and we realized that turning in my my retirement status three months early was going to have very minimal impact on my, on my check uh, to the point where it was, it made no sense to face the issues we were facing and deal with <laughs> the excessive amount of stress that law enforcement can bring. Uh, and, and, you know, there was an opportunity to leave now and, and, and still draw in a decent paycheck. I mean, I'm still good. Th this is the other thing. I have to go back to work, folks. You, you know, just so you understand, uh, much to the chagrin of people like, uh, Andrew Rappaport who want me doing other things. Um, I, I, 
working for the state of Nevada, the the most you can possibly draw from your paycheck is 75% of what you made. And they base that on your highest paid three years. And then they do the math and they go, okay, this is the most you can make. And usually to even get to 75%, it takes an extensive amount of time. I, I wasn't really willing to even do that. February 2nd was my drop dead date. And, uh, uh, and this shift was very minimal. So I just bumped it up three months. So that's really what happened. So I'm going to have to go back to work. I actually have an, uh, an appointment uh, later this month that I would uh, ask you guys to maybe keep in prayer because it's an opportunity to you know, maybe do some security work or something that, that will maybe be a little less stressful and allow me more opportunity to continue to do the things that Rich and I do here. So, uh, but that's, that's been the big, that's been the big shift. Uh, I took two weeks off at the end of October. Uh, I still have an extensive amount of annual leave left that they will cash out, um, <laughs> despite taking two weeks off. And then I have been, uh, retired for, well, really, two weeks now. Uh, my my last day, uh, uh, official day of work was November third, and that was two weeks ago. Um, so I am now a, a two week retiree and already looking for another job. <laughs> so, but that was my deal: as I was going to take at least a month and chill, and then start looking for that. <laughs> well, and, and you know that over the last ten years. What I've been waiting for when it, in regards to your retirement is you retiring and actually finally being able to share yes. funny stories of you and your encounters over your 20-plus years in law enforcement because, you know, I know that there's some issues, that things that you can't talk about, whatever. But now that you are retired, can you start sharing some of those funny stories oh. with the public you yeah absolutely of course you know the names will be uh changed to declare uh, to protect the guilty um but yeah there will <laughs> there will definitely be and and to clarify what my role was because i didn't speak about it a lot because especially in the climate that we live in um if you identify where you work how quick the cancel culture mob will come out uh with pitchforks and and, and torches to have people fired, I, I a lot of it was to protect my agency. So just to just, let me just start with this: I was a parole and probation officer for the state of Nevada since January 1999. And in the state of Nevada, many states, your probation is run by county, your parole office is run by the state. Uh, in Nevada, they are combined under one entity, at least at this time. I know they've uh, toyed with trying to split them up like other states. And we in, in in some states, a probation pr uh, agent is not a law enforcement officer. Now, parole typically is because it's a state officer, and you're dealing with people who are uh, convicts coming out on uh, on parole. Um, so, a lot of times, parole will be some level of law enforcement. In our state, parole and probation officer has the same same peace officer status as any patrol officer. We go through the same training. We're qualified at the same level. Level. Um, those of you that work in uh, law enforcement status will, might recognize what's called post peace officer standards and training. Um, it's a, it's a category, uh, you know, it's a, a classification for law enforcement. And in Nevada, we had three levels, uh, a certification one, two, and three, your, your post, uh, your post three classification was kind of like your prison guards, uh, they have law enforcement status inside that building. 
we initially, when I started uh, back in 1999, we were category two peace officer status because we didn't go out and do patrol work in the sense of traffic stops or, uh, you know, responding to traffic accidents and stuff like that. But we still had arrest powers, etc. Later, the state changed that and made us uh, category one peace officers, which put us all at the same level uh, as um, sheriff's office, highway patrol, excuse me, state police, because that was the big thing they, they were changing us to. My retirement badge actually says state police on it. And um, uh, we, you know, whether it was division of investigation, which is kind of the detective level of state police or, uh, you know, sh- county sheriff, we all had the same status. So I worked in that capacity as a peace officer in the state of Nevada for nearly 25 years. And there are a lot of stories that as I, I wish I had written them down, brother. I really wish I had. I probably could have published a book like immediately after retiring <laughs> because the stuff that you deal with in dealing with that that segment of society, which is what most people have no interaction with, most people would not believe it. <laughs> so, um, but what I did learn is that total depravity is a thing, okay? It total depravity, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I know there are some of you that listen to uh to us that are not Calvinists, they don't under you know, they don't believe in doctrines of grace, they reject the the concept of total depravity. Uh I can tell you for one hundred percent certain total depravity is a thing. <laughs> It's, uh, I've dealt well, with enough of it. <laughs> I was dead serious about a reply to one of your messages a couple of weeks ago about writing a book and naming it Tales of the Force because, you know, you were on the Force and you have a lot of interesting tales and kind of throw a Star Wars evil <laughs> empire kind of hook well, in there. I probably can't because I, I Disney would I, probably sue me. <laughs> well, not just using the word Force, they can't, but... Um, I've, I've not, you've never revealed much to me over the years. I just have enough of a snippet to where I want you to finish some stories you've told me, even if it's just <laughs> in private, because some of them are pretty doggone wild. But all right, well, well, let me, let me, but, let me do one. Let me do one because okay. uh, that, that this might be fun to you guys. Scripture talks about the man who flees when no one pursues. <laughs> that was my first foot pursuit. Uh, <laughs> I often worked uh, a particular type of caseload which is called often called think drug court some of you guys might know what that is um what that is is that when a person has gone before the court and has been charged with a felony crime that is typically drug related they have a specialized court program where they'll be given a you know a specific set of conditions that are legally defined and they must appear before the court on a regular basis to show that they've been doing their counseling, their drug testing, etc. And 99% of the time, those cases, I mean, some of there are some counties that would maybe put people in these programs without probation, but that was pretty rare. Almost 99% of the time, they would be put on some kind of probation supervision. And I would deal with that. That was probably a good portion of my career was dealing with a, a lot of those type of cases. And so very early on, when I worked out of our Reno office, we had an individual who had missed a couple of court appearances and the court made it very, very clear 
that this man was to be told to be at the next court hearing or he would have a warrant issued for his arrest. Well, typically when they no-show, um, they're up to no good. I mean, it's it's very rare, though it could happen, there would be a legitimate emergency. Perhaps they were sick. Perhaps they misscheduled. They wrote down their schedule wrong. That did occasionally happen. But usually if you have someone who's consistently missing, they're up to no good. So I go to this individual's apartment. I have many things to do on this particular shift. I'm not interested in, in arresting this individual. I want to communicate to him that the court has said, you better be there or you will be going to jail next. All right, do you understand? Okay, good. That's my intent. <laughs> I walk up to this apartment and it's got stairs leading up to the second, uh, you know, uh, a second story breezeway, which is basically like an open hallway with apartments on either side, uh, you know, apartment doors on either side. So the, you know, it's open on the, on the front and back end stairs leading up. I was, I'm walking up important point as I'm walking up, I look at his window on the second story. The blinds are open. Just didn't think much about it at the time. Go knock on the door. No response. Okay. I'll have to start tracking him down later. I got to take care of these other issues. As I walk back down. Now, mind you, I'm not Superman. I'm not Spider-Man. I can't look in a window on a second story. As I'm going down the stairs, the blinds are now closed. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. And there's actually a little sway to them. Like, just barely moving. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I ran back up, pound on the door, no response. I'm announcing myself. I'm telling him, I now know you're in there. He will not come to the door. I call for my uh, fellow officers to come assist me. One officer arrives. He parks himself on the other open side of the that breezeway that I was just describing. So there's stairs going down the backside, stairs coming down my side. <laughs> One of my other partners is trying to find the apartment complex. So I'm on the radio explaining to him where to come in. As all of a sudden I hear, police, stop. I look up, this guy's bolting down the stairs in my direction, my partner's in pursuit. I call out for pursuit, boom, we're off and running. Um, go down a street, he tucks left between this, this little strip mall where there's like, it's a small building with like a dentist office and stuff, and there's a fence line. On the other side of the fence, huge open parking lot and a casino. It was in Reno, guys. <laughs> so jump. he jumps the fence. I jump the fence. Sea of cars. Oh, wonderful. This is going to be so much fun to try and find him. By this point, all you know, the handful of, you know, of us that are, are on shift arrive, and people are starting to post themselves around the casino to see if he comes out and exit. We're talking to casino security. Maybe they can get cameras. I start heading back to the apartment. Because I know he lives with his girlfriend, I'm, and as uh, I'm heading up there with somebody else, we we get over the radio. This guy's ducked out one of the exit doors. They're chasing again, so the sh chase is back on. Shoot over there in the car, and where he's run away from the uh, that uh, casino is another set of apartments. In fact, there's two sets of apartments divided by a fence. So. I drop my uh, uh, drop my partners at one apartment complex. I run to the other apartment complex, and I'm trying to clear these parking spaces that are like under these little uh, metal canopies. When I hear "We got them, we got them," I jump the fence, come over to the other apartment uh, complex. As I come over that fence, I'm looking at one of my partners who is six foot plus, 225, 250 pounds, big guy. He's got this guy in one handcuff on the ground. The other handcuff is, or other hand is out to the side in a pool of blood. And I'm like, what? 
I look at my partner and said, what happened? <laughs> and turns out as they spot him, he runs for that fence again, goes to jump and grabs the top of a chain link fence. Now, some of you know that not all chain link fences, that the, the, the crisscross part at the top is curled down. Sometimes they're still pointy. He grabbed the top of it and grabbed on tight as my partner bear hugged him to say, get down. The man refused. My partner assisted him in leaving the fence, which drugged that hand across the open spiky part. And he had a puddle of blood. So we've got him cuffed. We've, we, we advise our dispatch. We request medical. I look at the guy. I said, why did you run? I didn't want to go to jail. <laughs> I wasn't here to arrest you. <laughs> what? I said, but you're going to jail now. <laughs> so. Yeah, you can never outrun guilt, can you? <laughs> well, and that was... Go ahead, sorry. Especially your, especially your own feelings of guilt. From the time to when you first... Or the first time you arrived at that apartment until this guy was apprehended, how much time elapsed, do you remember? From the time we finally caught him, I'm going to guess it was probably less than 30 minutes. I mean, because you have the time that he ran and then he disappeared into the casino and we're still searching for him. And then there's the second run and, and he disappears into another con. So you're talking total time, somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes. So very so short period of time. <laughs> so basically he could have avoided all of this with one word. He opened the door. You told him he said, okay, that had to been the end yeah, of it. Exactly. <laughs> but there were many times in my career where I, and I was not a Christian when I first be, uh, became a law enforcement officer. It, I, I got hired in 1999. I got saved in about September-ish of 2000. So about a year and a half, I was not a Christian. But I became a Christian. And over time, one thing God did show me in law enforcement was over and over again, the scriptural truths about the sinful nature. And so, as you say, here's a man knows he's up to no good, you know, and uh, and there were there were many issues with this individual later, which I can't you know I can't get into all those details. But um, this was an individual who you saw that scriptural truth about that the wicked flee when no one pursues. He there was nobody there to chase him, nobody was there to arrest him, but he was so certain that he was going to be arrested that he fled. And that's what sent him to jail because now, instead of taking responsibility for his actions and saying, okay, I'll take whatever lumps the court gives me when I go to court, he ran and magnified the problem a hundredfold. <laughs> yeah, while you were telling that story, the theme song of Cops was flowing <laughs> through my head. Now, an interesting t side note about that particular pursuit, that was my first one. I had been in several. Um, but when I was in Reno, the one individual who always seemed to be present at these uh, these foot pursuits was the man who who caught the uh, you know this particular probationer and had him straddled with the handcuff on. By the last time we had done one, he swore to me he'd never go in the field with me ever again. But, <laughs> so <laughs> I did it for a period of time when I worked out of the Reno office. It seemed like I couldn't go and just simply do a knock on the door to evaluate how someone's doing without somehow stepping into quite a mess. And I was not trying to. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to throw a teaser out for somewhere in a in an episode down the road. You'll have to tell about the incident with the mean mad dog. But, um, Which one? As, shift, <laughs> as, as we shift right now, let me ask you this. I know you've not been retired very long, yeah. but what is one thing you are thankful for in regards to your retirement? I think one of the things I'm thankful for is, is getting out, for retirement's sake, is getting out of that environment. Um, I love the people that I work with in terms of my coworkers and uh, the office that I was in. I have great love for those people. And it was it was hard for me to tell them I'm leaving early. They already knew I was leaving, but it was hard for me to tell them I was leaving early, because um, I knew we were shorthanded. I knew that it it was already we were already going to be in this situation in three months. But I was now throwing that at them three months earlier, so I felt terrible about that. But leaving the law enforcement field, I think, is I I, I now. Having not been working for four weeks, um, I realize I don't have that constant pressure and that constant exposure to a side of life that most people don't recognize or want to recognize exists. And it's and I say that because it weighs upon you. Um, one of the things that when I announced my retirement, there was one thing I did want to share with people, and and I'll and I'll say this is is why I, why I'm glad to now be retired and moving on. Living in a constant state of exposure to darkness weighs upon a soul, and when you are taking it from both sides, so to speak, from the side of the, of, of the world that you have to be involved in, but also from the media, from the general public, from celebrity to, you know, hood, whatever that is about how terrible you as an individual are because you work in this environment. It can be very, very vexing. It can be very, very, uh, let me just say it's it's a ton of weight and pressure upon you. So you have this darkness that you have to be in constant exposure to and you have very little place that you can go to to have an outlet for it because everything you deal with it's protected information. You can't share this information with people. You come home, you can't talk. A man works at a computer factory building computers or works at a widget factory building widgets can talk about his day. You come home from that environment, you're so very little you can share. Um, you can say some things, but not all. And so it's very difficult. And so you carry that weight with you. And what happens is over time, how you perceive the world begins to change. Now, it's not. I'm not saying that every law enforcement officer is this weird ticking time bomb that you know they're, 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 their thinking is cracked and warped. It's just that your how you view life and how you have to deal with it is forcefully changed because of how you of what you're exposed to and how and where you can have an outlet for it. And there were times that I couldn't understand it. Life was going generally okay, but I would have like periods of deep depression. Couldn't figure out why. I, I couldn't point to something and say it's not like you know to to quote a comedian, the, uh, a Christian comedian uh, of uh, Jeff Allen, who says you know when he was going through stuff, he said 
if I if I could if so if I woke up every day and a man was beating me with a stick and somebody asked me why I was so miserable, I could say it's because he he keeps he keeps hitting me with a stick. Then then there was there was something I could I, I could identify. He says, but the stuff he was dealing with he couldn't identify. It was the same thing for me. I couldn't point to something and say why am I this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And I began to realize what it was, was I didn't process life the way everybody else did. So even as a Christian it, and going to the word of God and, and, and having the words of life minister to me, which I believe is what carried me through so much of this, having that, you know, that uh, impact on your life. It alters how you process what goes on. So what, what you at Rich might look at and go, okay, this is really frustrating to me, but I'll figure it out and I'll move forward. I would look at it and go, it would frustrate me. And then days later, I would just be in a funk and couldn't get out of it and couldn't figure out why. But I couldn't, I, it didn't seem like that one thing should have been it. You know, maybe my finances weren't, weren't, weren't super fantastic, we're paying our bills. Why am I in this funk? And it's because I didn't process life the way everybody else did. And that was kind of a seminal moment for me where it began to recognize I looked at life differently. And because of that, how I dealt with it was hard. And so coming out of that and recognizing I don't have to live like that anymore. I don't, you know, one of the things that was so weird to me was when, you know, as November 4th was coming up, I had announced my retirement. I filed my paperwork. I was, had my separation date. All of it was there. But until November 3rd, I was still a law enforcement officer. November 4th, I was a civilian again. And it was that moment where I began to realize how I now deal with the world is going to be very, very different. Because if I went to Walmart, went shopping with the family and something went down while I didn't have a duty to involve myself in a law enforcement capacity, I had the ability and, and, and probably to a certain sense of responsibility to do something, to act, to be a good witness, to get people out of harm's way, whatever, because I had made that oath today. I don't have that requirement because I can't have that requirement because I'm the civilian again. And now that doesn't mean that if something bad happened, I'm going to throw up my hands and go, not my problem, but rather I now have to weigh how I deal with that as a civilian because I have no authority. That, that oath I took is gone. It's no longer valid. I carry a retirement badge because that's, that's the the thing that says this is what I once did, and in the state, you know, the state of Nevada, it's actually if I want to carry concealed, it allows me to do that. Um, but it it carries no authority. So now here I am, a civilian again, and I I get to look at the world as a civilian, and not carry that burden because it's not mine to carry anymore. And I think if there's anything I can say to God that I am so grateful for is I don't have to worry about those things anymore. That constant pressure of get these statistics, you know, because in, in parole and probation world, you have to 
make home contacts. You have to get intakes done in a certain time. There are assessments that you have to complete. All things that are statutorily required to, to show that we are being responsible and protecting the community. And it's how they can evaluate at least to some to some level of... It. Let me just say there's no way to determine success with a parolee or a probationer in terms of, oh, he made it to the end, so he'll never re reoffend, right? Well, that's not, that's, that you may have gotten him to the end. Maybe he got a, dis he got an honorable discharge, but does that guarantee that he's fixed? He's rehabilitated. He's not going to offend again. No way to, there's, you can't evaluate that in any, you know, meaningful fashion. It's a very an amorphous job, but those statistics at least demonstrate we are doing the things that by law and by best practice demonstrate we're doing our job. When you're understaffed and you're over, uh, you know, your, your caseloads are massive. It's an immense amount of pressure to get that work done. And you only have so many hours in a day to get it done. And by the way, here's your job, but here's all the other things we can throw at you. I was a defensive tactics instructor for quite a while. Um, for a, a time, I was a training officer for new, uh, as a new officer would come in. Now, thankfully, that was where I worked at in, in Fallon, uh, which is about an hour east of uh, Reno. We didn't have that many come in, so it wasn't something I had to do all the time. But then you'd have transports, you'd have court appearances, you'd have <clears throat> all kinds of stuff in addition to your normal duties. So there's an immense amount of stress that comes with that. And well, that's something thing, I no longer have to worry about as well. One, one thing too, most people probably don't realize or probably never even thought about is how often you were still on call, mm -hmm. even after you were technically off duty. Oh yeah. I know over the years, there's been numerous times that you've told me that um, you were on call that night and you might have to let me go if you had to go out mm -hmm. or if someone's monitor went off. And there were a few times to where yeah. those things came about, but that actually adds into what you're talking about to where it's not a matter of you go in, clock in, you get off at five o'clock or whatever, you clock out and you go home and that's the end of it. But you're still having to carry all that with you. And a lot of times being on call like that still had you on that, kind of height of alertness type thing going on, just waiting for that call or that beeper to go off any moment, knowing that you may have to fly back right back out and be back at it. It's almost like you're at work and on call 24-7 because if something bad occurred, even if you were off duty, you still would have to go in if things got bad enough and they needed mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? We, we might as well just make this the topic tonight and we'll carry the, the topic over to next week. Uh, and we will record next week, by the way. Um, so from a Christian perspective, let, let, let's just try to, you know, encapsulate all this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, scripture says it's good for a man to work. We are called to vocation. We have to do some kind of job and various jobs can have various ex extenuating duties. You know, you, you can have so much that you can be required to do. And one of the things that we did is uh, we would have 
this house arrest on call status, which I was not fond of. I, I try, tried for a very, very long time to not have to be on on call status because it was voluntary for a time uh, because your nights could get interrupted. And that was something that when they finally said, look, we need more coverage. We don't have enough bodies. Everybody's doing it. It wasn't fun. I didn't like it. And the reason it wasn't fun is you would get notifications at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. Someone's house arrest monitor would go off. Now, 99.9% .9 of the time, it was a malfunction. Uh, a battery went dead. Um, the system, the GPS system that was, was used in them, you would have what's called GPS drift. And so anybody that's used any kind of GPS gear knows that sometimes your GPS can say you you can be in the middle of town and it puts you oh you're in the middle of the desert no no you know it's it it would be a momentary glitch and it would come back but the problem is is if it's if you were supposed to be at one two three ABC Street and it's three o'clock in the morning and you're not supposed to be out and it, all of a sudden you're on the other side of town well the the notif you know the the system would alert um, over time they got better about refining some of that but in the earlier days it, it went off for everything. Um, there were times when, you know, we've got a lot of warehouse uh, buildings out here um, between where I live in Fernley and Reno Sparks area. There's a place called USA Parkway, and it's where Tesla has its battery plant. Uh, by the way, we have an Apple Cloud facility. I think Google built something out there, and there's a ton of other stuff out in that area. And so you have these buildings made of concrete and steel. Well, guess what? House arrest monitors don't work well in there. <laughs> And there would be times you would have notifications go off every hour. Why? Because the house arrest monitor is not communicating with the system. And it's like there were days that I had very terse conversations with the house arrest monitoring company about being woken up every single hour for somebody who's at work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say, that, okay, another funny story. So when I, was, when I first took that over, of course, if you had somebody that went AWOL, you had to track them down. And there were time frames to in which to do that. So we had an individual who lived in a, in a small town about a 45 minutes south of me who was on house arrest that we supervised. And by the way, where I was in, in Fallon covered multiple counties. Um, and, and you could drive anywhere from up to two hours away to, to make contact with people. Uh, that's, that's life in rural Nevada. You know, you, you have... Anywhere from 75 to 150 cases, depending on staffing levels, and you could be driving an hour and a half away to get three people. You know, that's just how crazy this was. And this guy lived in this town, you know, like I said, about 45 minutes south. And uh, I'm at home. My boys are probably preteen age at this time. And uh, the monitor goes off. And I start, and I pull up the website and I'm looking up the information and, and sure enough, this guy's departed. Now I know, you know, I'm able to pull up his information. I realize he has a, a you know, a, a female half in the home as well. And so I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I call the, the local police department down in this small town. I said, can you please go by and, and check the house? And I'm going to try and check things up here. See if I can track this guy down. Well, they get a hold of the his girlfriend and he's gotten a new job, but he's failed to notify anyone about this job. And in the meantime, I'm trying to reach him on the phone. Now I'm doing this from my living room. <laughs> I'm at home. It's, it's, it's the weekend. 
it's my day off. I, I, you know, and now I'm having to deal with some wayward, uh, you know, probationer or parolee. I can't remember which, who has failed to notify us of a change in his schedule. And, um, <laughs> I'm leaving him a message in my cop voice, <laughs> making sure he has very clear instructions because he is very possibly going to go to jail if he doesn't get back in touch with me. I get off the phone, I and as I turn around, my my oldest son has gone almost pale, and he's all. I think I just soiled myself. <laughs> that was. His, I'm not kidding. That was his words. My what I always strove to not do if I could avoid it was not bring the cop side of me home. Not easy to do. I tried to be a loving husband and father and tried to leave those things behind at the office if I could. So they had not heard dad go cop mode. <laughs> you know, I actually think I remember you telling me about that when that happened. And we're talking a decade or longer ago. Yeah, it's it's been quite a while. But those were the those were the things that, you know, like you say, you... In, in law enforcement, you're never really off duty. Y- you may clock out. You know, you may work. I, my, you know, my typical shift was seven to five. I may be punched out, so to speak, off the air at 5 p.m., but at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, I could get a phone call from dispatch, and this did happen. There were times I came home after trying to find somebody, and I'd been home 10 minutes when dispatch said, hey, Sheriff's office has located this. So we need you out there. Boom. I'm back out in the, you know, out uh, heading back out there. And, um, you never really go off duty. And when you live in a small town, like I do, you even going grocery shopping could, you know, you could be in a sense on duty because you're deal you're living in the community where you're supervising people. And so it, it's, you're always got that running. That's, that's not easy to do. Yeah, my my point in this is for people that can't relate is just imagine your worst day at work, not being able to discuss it with someone when you got home and knowing that that particular bad moment could occur again at any time, Mm -hmm. day or night, even when you're off or even when you're on vacation. And that type of stress can just build up and build up and build up. I think that's why the Lord in his wisdom, you know, tells us that there's a time to work and a time to rest, Mm -hmm. a day of the week to take a rest, because the Lord in his wisdom knows that we need time away from all of these things Mm -hmm. and time to be devoted and focused strictly on him. Um, Not so much law enforcement related, but I can relate to what you're talking about in a small way, because there was a time in my life in a particular job I had, I was on call 24 seven. I can remember I had to basically beg and plead to get off enough time and not be on call for my wedding. I mean, Mm -hmm. this was 28, 30 years ago, but, and I have shook hands with the law enforcement side of work in my past. I things I can't really go into either, but, I can't relate to everything that you've gone through, but I can sympathize with you on some aspects of it when it comes to not being able to discuss 
you know, what's going on at work or problems that are festering inside of you that tend to come out in different ways instead of, you know, being able to talk to your wife and rant about this mm-hmm. particular individual or situation and you just hold it in and it festers, but it'll end up coming out in mm-hmm. a different way, either through some type of depression or spiritual depression or just getting to a point where you don't want to get out of bed or you don't want to do this or do that. It, it's just, it will affect people differently. But what you're talking about, that type of stress and, and no release and everything, that's what most law enforcement officers have to go through on a daily mm-hmm. basis throughout their career. Is it not? Absolutely. That That's the thing is it's, it's every officer has to, contend with a constant level of pressure in a variety of ways. I, and some handle it better than others and sometimes we don't handle it in healthy ways. But every one of us has to. And I will say that I, the primary thing that helped me through so much of this was being in Christ, I knowing the person that I was outside of Christ, knowing what attitudes and 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 I'm trying I can't think of the right word, but just knowing my character and even though I was your typical nice guy as people would describe me, um I I could see that apart from Christ, I probably would have had far more difficulty dealing with issues in my life if I'd not had Christ than as I than when I was brought to uh, you know repentance and faith very early in my career, and what God taught me through His Word. I mean, one of the most important lessons I learned very early because. I you know I I had the you know the white hat syndrome really really uh, fast you know and very early you know you all those people they have the black hats they're the bad guys I'm the guy with the white hat I'm the good guy and coming to Christ as early as I did and hearing His Word being taught to me and reading Scripture and and filling my head with the Word of God very early on I realized there was zero difference between me and the then the person on the other side of my desk because in the eyes of God my sins were as vile and evil as the individual I was dealing with now that doesn't mean that I didn't still deal with the, the still have the perspective of I'm the cop you're the bad guy but it very much tempered that because I realized the difference between their sins and mine is mine weren't illegal in terms of a temporal sense and that in the let, eyes let of me, God, we both needed Christ. Well, I, I have quite a bit of law enforcement in my family and in my wife's family. And some are Christian, some are not, some are retired, some are not. But I can see, without being truly saved in Christ, how easy it is for someone in that career field to end up being an alcoholic or divorced mm-hmm. or some of these other negative points of law enforcement that, really people don't talk about and you don't hear about 
but you know it's kind of stereotyped a lot of times in movies and television Mm -hmm. but as you say without being in christ you can see how easily they fall into some of these ditches so to speak but one or two in in my mind that i'm thinking of being a christian they're completely opposite of what your typical stereotype in that area would be and getting back to what you were saying you know the difference between you know you have not broken these laws these people have but spiritually you can see how you're just as bankrupt Mm -hmm. as they are because all sin is an offense to god whether it be this little lie you told yesterday versus this guy that's beat his wife and is now strung out on drugs both are sins in the eyes of God, and no one will be justified in the eyes of God except through Jesus Christ. And one sin and thought, word, or deed over the course of your entire life, all it takes is that one sin, and you're condemned in the eyes of God without Christ. Yeah. Um, and being a Christian in law enforcement, what was, and you don't have to go into great detail because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time left, but what is one challenge that you faced as being being a Christian in law enforcement that re- you really felt handcuffed yourself? I know that legally you couldn't have someone in the back seat of your car that you're taking off to jail and be able to proclaim the law and gospel to them, much less open your Bible and read to them. So, what is some what was a challenge for you personally being a Christian and in the law enforcement field that someone not familiar with law enforcement may not realize that that's a situation that Christian law enforcement officers have to deal with. I I would say there's a couple things. I think the first thing is you you explain the, the issue of, you know, being limited in what you could do as far as talking to someone about what they, you know, that, that genuine need for Christ that they had. Um, I think especially in my career field, I, everything we were required to do was essentially wash the outside of the cup because everything, all the practices are based on a secular humanist mindset. They're based upon if you can behavior modify someone, they may well be you know, rehabilitated. And so they wouldn't choose a criminal lifestyle. And I could remember conversations where people connected to my field, you know, within say more the counseling environment and stuff would sometimes be mystified by why some person would be, they were so successful in this program. Why are they back? And, and they're trying to understand it from all these studies and stuff. And I'm looking at it going, I can tell you exactly why. This person is dead in their trespasses and sins. And as Christ said, as a pig that goes back to the mire, a dog that returns back to his vomit, this is what they do. How many times did you witness that very thing that you just mentioned, someone that seemed to have gotten their life together, had everything together, the outside of the cup was spotless and clean, mm-hmm. and then you turn around and then boom, they're right back where they were at in the beginning. How many times did you witness that yourself 
Or let do you me, even know how many times? Let, let me just say that one of my, the, the phrases I hated to have to say the most was looking at somebody who was checking in again for the first, for the first time again and going, why are you back here? I, I, I could not tell you how many times I saw that. Um, it was so common. And it's for these individuals, their sin is this criminal behavior. Just like you or I will have besetting sins of anger or pride, or maybe it's a porn addiction or something like that. These individuals would have a sinful predilection to something that was illegal. And you would see this and you'd watch them walk in the door and you would shake your head because just like, why are you back here? We did this, 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 and this. And they're like, yeah, I know. And you were doing this. You had all this lined out. Why are you here? Well, this thing happened and I went back to the drugs or something like that. And it would be, and, uh, it would be heartbreaking. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to ask you this before it leaves my mind. Would you say that entire scenario about, you know, they go through this program and they do this and they get out and they're clean and all this is great. Then they fall back into it and the whole cycle starts over again. Would you say that that really emulates what work salvation is really is because so many people think mm -hmm. that, well, I can work and earn my way to salvation. I slip and fall and I do this, 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 or this. Well, I can just go back over here and work my way back to, into good standing with God. Is that not exactly what these criminals were doing with the justice system, trying to work their way back to being in good standing with the, with the law and be free and all, but yet, nothing was really changed internally and they end up right back in it again. Wouldn't you say that rather emulates the whole concept of work salvation? I, I would say to some extent that's true. I think a lot of it is also, there were just people that just like we encounter people who claim to be Christian and they check all the right boxes, but they have real, no, no real heart change and, and they don't see a problem with it. I think there were a lot of people in, in that same vein in the criminal justice system. They, they would, and, and I actually had people who would more or less tell me that that's like, they know what to do to stay out of trouble and they're going to do it. And then once they're done, they're going to go back to their life. Um, so you just, I think there's a couple of, of parallels there, um, in that regard. And, and it just reflects, the criminal element is not so different from the non-criminal element. It's that what they choose to do is that their sins are more egregious and more criminal in nature where ours, well, let's just say that Jerry Bridges called it right when he called it respectable sins. You, know, we, 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 you and I both know we've done street evangelism and you always encounter the person who says, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not a drug dealer. People who don't deal with that world think those are the really bad sins. And they are. They're terrible sins. But our sins, even though we may not be criminal, are no less egregious in the eyes of God. And so the criminal just has taken their sinfulness to another venue, another level, so to speak, but it's just as wicked as what you or I do. And so the person who thinks, well, I can clean up my act before God. I can, I can merit salvation I, or I can merit some sort of good accounting on the part of God to, you know, to, to kind of point, say, like to the Catholic system. You may not be able to, you'll completely remain sinful, but maybe if it's just venial instead of these, these major sins, um, maybe you just need some time in purgatory. 
Uh, but if you if you have these egregious sins, well, you know, you don't have any hope. That, that That's the same thing that the criminal justice system can kind of engender in people, is that if we can clean that outside of the cup, and, and to, be, to be honest, there were people throughout my, my, you know, like I said, nearly a quarter century, I spent half my life doing this. There were people, they got the outside of the cup cleaned up, and man, they were doing great. You know, you, you never saw him again. You know, there's there's one particular individual I run into once in a while. He's got his own business, a business he started while I was supervising him. And I've watched him from afar, and he continues to do fantastic, even though he's faced challenges. So, to some extent, from a temporal perspective, it can have an effect. You can help people choose to to live a life that does not go back into the criminal world. You can do that. But what is hard is watching them knowing that's the most they're going to get. That's a very difficult thing when cuz there were times that I tried in my career and I had I never got to a point of a reprimand. But let's just say even having million dollar bill gospel tracks from Living Waters in a cup on my desk I got talked to. So you had to be very careful about it because if you did, it, and, and I will say this, I know there are some people who are going to go, well, you just have to do it anyway. Look, when you're on your employer's clock, you have to honor the employer's requirements of you. So if I'm, for example, jacking my jaw around the water cooler when I should be getting my work done, there's a legitimate reason to hold me accountable. And if the employer makes it clear you're not to, you want to do street witnessing, evangelism, Christian stuff off the clock, I don't care. Don't do it here. I believe there's a responsibility to honor the employer's time. And so you have to use that time their way. And so you've got to do the job they tell you to do. And that was a very difficult thing at times. And it, and, and I, I think may have probably contributed to some of my frustration with the job over the years because I knew what we were doing had a limited effect. And I saw it over and over and over again. Um, now, if you take someone who's not a Christian and you put them in that environment and they don't see what I see, but they see that revolving door, especially as the culture. Probably one of the most difficult moments for me was defund the police when that happened. When there were people viscerally angry with the even existence of law enforcement who basically wanted to see law enforcement officers dead, whether they had anything to do with the most recent dust-up or not. That was a really hard moment that I actually kind of had a breakdown in church one day because I'm looking at something before, I think I had looked at something before I came to church that day and saw the most recent We Hate Law Enforcement and it just crushed me because here was a world that wanted me dead just because I carried a badge. And you put someone in that environment and they don't understand the wickedness of man. They don't understand the wickedness that is inherent in all of us. And they don't understand that there is um, a solution 
that's spiritual, that this is a spiritual war. And then they are the con constantly being beaten up, not only from the world that they have to deal with, but from the outside world who looks at them and places all kinds of judgment on them. That's hard. That is extremely hard. Um, now, before, you know, because we, I know we've got some people who are listening to me going, yeah, but law enforcement has its problems and, and you guys do some evil things and now you're a bunch of jackboot thugs. Let me just say something. A friend of ours once did uh, a podcast episode talking about how when Christians and pastors jumped on the bandwagon of hating on the cops, one of the things he said was, what makes you think this these officers will ever darken the door of your church? Right? There are some of us, even within the Reformed or, or Reformed adjacent camp, we look at the world that's going on and we see the bad things, especially what happened in COVID. And we look at law enforcement community and we look at the, you know, some of the bad things that happen. We paint this broad brush and said, every cop is a jackboot Nazi thug. I just described to you a quarter century of law enforcement experience and what that can do to a heart and mind. On what planet does it make sense for you to then heap further scorn when you don't have the spine or the backbone to go do that job? I say this because I see both sides of this argument. When COVID went down and all these states started implementing rules and they wanted to try to use law enforcement to enforce it. I looked at my boss and says, you might as well have the write-up ready because I won't do it. And he said, he looks at me and goes, I'm not going to do it either. Now, thankfully, virtually every law enforcement agency in my state signed letters to our then governor. <laughs> Praise God, he's not a governor anymore. Basically saying we will not enforce unconstitutional law, uh, unconstitutional dictates from the, from the governor's office. We'll help with education. We'll help inform the public. We are not going to enforce unconstitutional mandates. Praise God for that. Um, a lot of law enforcement were put in very unenviable places. And a lot of armchair quarterbacking from people who have zero backbone to get up, strap on the uh, a duty belt and a badge to go do the job, but think they know how to tell the rest of the world how to do theirs. Um, I'm just going to say from the bottom of my heart, how dare you? Bunch of armchair keyboard warriors. I had to keep my mouth shut quite a bit during that time. And I had to hide my disgust with a lot of Christians during that time. I'd like to add something real quick, brother, in, in what you're saying, especially to those who profess to be Christians, whose attitude were such towards law enforcement and many whose attitudes are still like that in regards to law enforcement. If you really cared about 
what that police officer, that law enforcement officer is doing, if you really cared about the people around that enforcement officer, do you have the spine or the backbone to go hand that officer a gospel track mm -hmm. to engage that officer in a gospel conversation or explain the biblical way of salvation to that officer? Then double how dare you sit back and condemn that officer who is in a really, really tough position that's having to arrest someone they don't want to. They know it's not right. They have absolutely no choice. More times than not, that officer is not even anywhere close to being a Christian. Not only are you wanting to condemn what they're doing in their career, but you're wanting to condemn and rejoice over their soul, which is damned to hell, while you sit back, mouth off about what they're doing, instead of being more concerned about where they're going when they die. If you truly cared, if you truly loved Christ as you claim you do, Instead of sitting back, moaning and complaining and griping, you'd get up off your butt, get out of your chair, go find a police officer, thank them, and hand them a gospel tract, and explain the biblical way of salvation to them, instead of sitting back in your judgmental eyes condemning that law enforcement officer for what he's having to do. Yeah, and, and, and I will say, I, I here's something I, I've always talked to people about. I believe in a healthy skepticism. I think I've said this on the program before. And what I mean by a healthy skepticism is that law enforcement is imbued with an immense amount of power. And that power to detain, to investigate, to interrogate, to arrest should be kept in check. I don't believe that it, that it is ever wise to have unfettered unrestrained support for law enforcement. I think it's a terrible idea. Why? Because history has told us that those who wish to wield power and do so tyrannically will often use law enforcement of some kind to their evil ends. And I will say, I'm seeing things happen today that I genuinely believe that's what's coming in our nation. I believe, my personal opinion, that defund the police was a fantastic tool to get rid of people like me. To chase out the old dogs. People who understood the Constitution, who understood on, uh, that they were, could not and would not enforce, unconsti or enforce unconstitutional laws and mandates. And I believe it was a fantastic tool for chasing individuals like myself out who would be an obstacle to those things and recruiting a much younger generation later when they went, Oh, you mean getting rid of all the police creates more crime? That was a oops here. Here's more money. And you recruit a younger generation who can now be trained up. I don't know, maybe with a different set of rules, a different set of ideologies and being over time, used in a way that they should not be. Especially in the larger big cities. I see yes. that myself. And I think that's coming. And so that's one other thing I'm grateful to be, to be out of that field for, is I believe that's coming. And I, I, people come to me today or have come to me in recent years wanting advice about whether they should get into this field. And I'm, I have to give a very 
qualified, well, here's what the job requires. Here's what it is. Now, what I'm about to say is from somebody who's been there for a very long time and has got some gripes about the system. Here's what I experienced and here's what my concerns are. So I say that because I believe that healthy skepticism means you support your law enforcement until such a time as a question arises and then you let the investigation do its job. You don't get to play judge, jury, and executioner from behind your keyboard. Um, you, you don't like the way it's going. Here's a thought. Go become one. Get in the ranks. Get promoted. Or, here's another thought. Get involved in the field that helps develop policy and procedure. Oh, you don't want to do that? Then honestly, I don't want to hear your opinion. Because you don't know. I can't tell you the number of times I've had to try to explain online to people. Proper police procedure. And why things have to happen the way they do. Only to have people revile me for it. Because they think they know. And they don't know jack squat. What they know is what they see on TV. Or what their favorite podcast host has told them. Or what some pseudo-famous quote-unquote Christian pastor has put out yes. and brainwashed them with into thinking that all cops <clears throat> are evil. Or even those who don't do that, who have bought into a certain narrative that is popular right now, and because they want to change the culture in a certain way, have declared everything that exists right now to be this terrible evil, and therefore, if you're a part of it, there's something wrong with you. If you support it, there's something wrong with you. I say that because everything I've said up to this point, I've tried to be very open about the difficulties and how that affected me, how that affects others, and how the desperate need for the gospel needs to be poured into the lives of law enforcement officers because they need Christ. But now I'm speaking to Christians who with all due respect have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, they may know things about guns. They, know, they may be tough guys. They may be, I'll protect my family. I'll do this. I'll, I'll defend. The cops are useless kind of thing. I'm talking to you. If you're so gung-ho, go get a badge. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to be part of that change, then honestly, I don't have time for you. Now, if you want to have a conversation, if you want to ask questions, if you want to actually learn, happy to talk to you. And I will be honest. I've been honest now. I've been honest about the problems that I see with the justice system. I, I, I am willing to be honest and say, guess what? Sometimes we hire bad people. Sometimes we promote bad people. 
Sometimes people who should never have been allowed to be in a uniform, much less chief of police, get appointed to make bad decisions by bad government. Guess what? I'm happy to admit that. Because I don't like it any more than you. But if you think that you are so manly, so tough, so self-important that you can judge an entire field you yourself have no guts to do? I don't want to hear about it. I'm tired of keyboard warriors. I got so many of you on mute my and block. My list on Twitter is getting smaller despite the number of people that follow me some days. Why? Because I'm sick to death of the manly man crowd who thinks that they're going to change the world by the shake of their fist when they have not a single spine in their backs to go to do a job that I honestly tell you is one of the hardest jobs in the world to do. When Christians revile your career choice and are not even willing to hear what it means to do the job. And all they want to do is, well, when I'm in charge kind of mentality, brother, sister, I got zero respect for that. I really do. And I say that because I've been there. I've walked those streets. I've dealt with those individuals. I've dealt with a system that for the life of me are times I cannot understand why did I do it for so long. And it's because by the grace of God, he provided for my family through that. Do, did any one of you ever think, well, a cop should quit his job. Did any one of you ever think that, hey, by the way, that man's wife is fighting cancer and the only way he can do that is by keeping his job? Because guess what? That was my story. Ten years ago, my wife went through a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And she's got more spine than some of you because guess what? She's still homeschooled while fighting cancer. How did that happen? By God's grace, I had a career that paid for so much of that. Did it ever occur to you that an ounce of compassion might actually impact that officer's life? Because we had to battle both sides. Right now I'm trying not to choke up a little bit because there were times I put my badge on my desk and wanted to walk away from it all. Not because of the criminals, but because of people in the community who wanted us dead. People in places of power who made rules or made pronouncements or mandates to, to undermine and, utter, and, and cut us out. 
to this day, I still hold Barack Obama accountable for the five deaths of officers, I believe it was in Texas, who were shot because of his rhetoric. And by the way, I blame Russell Moore for that too. Because he jumped on that bandwagon, and that's why I'm blocked by him on Twitter. There were days I wanted to walk away and tell everyone in the world, do it yourself. And my job wasn't patrol. My job wasn't running to the, you know, the call down the street for the domestic. And then the call down the street for the burglary. And the call down the street after that for the child out of control whose parents were like, fix him. I didn't have to do that. I got to deal with the after effect. I got to deal with them and deal with their problems once they'd been convicted. Once that they had been adjudicated. And now they had been, hey, Officer Honholtz, your job is to fix them. And yet, the uh, sheer volume of armchair quarterbacking from people, some people whom I have great respect for, there were days I just wanted to put the badge on the desk and walk away. Why? Zero compassion. Zero compassion from my brothers and sisters in Christ. You all have no idea how hard it is to come online some days and look at a situation and go, yeah, I don't think that was a good one. Yeah, all right, well, maybe there was something, there was, okay, I get, maybe there's a little bit more to the story. And in the meantime, all y'all are condemning people with zero information. That was hard. I have long advocated for Christians need to have balance. We are so swept up just like everybody else on whatever the newest bandwagon is. My word, we are terrible at this. And I've been guilty of it. I say we inclusive of myself. Why am I having this? Why am I saying this? Why am I getting kind of lectury? I apologize. I just say that that environment is not something, you know, it's easy to say it's not for the faint of heart. It really is not for the faint of heart. It is one of the most challenging work environments anyone can enter into. And it's got its problems, tons of them. Not the least of which is the direction it's currently heading. And I am not encouraging people to get into it right now because of that. But at the same time, I will never not have respect for someone who every morning or every evening gets up, puts on that uniform, puts on that badge, because they're hoping to maybe, they know they can't save the world. Maybe they were deluded for a time when, and, and, and thought they'd be a superhero and, and save their city or whatever. And they got into it and they did it for the, you know, they started doing it and they realized, if I can only make this much difference, and I'm holding my fingers very small. <clears throat> if I can just stop somebody from going so fast that they don't run down a kid today. If I can just keep that one store from being robbed today. If I can if I can just keep this man from killing his wife today. 
Maybe I'll have accomplished something. One of the hardest aspects, Rich, you asked me, what, are, what is something I'm glad to be, you know, to be happy about retiring for? One of the, the hardest aspects of this job, if you're a carpenter, you can take wood and glue and screws and nails and you can build something. If you're an electrician, you can take wires and cables and twist ties and you know conduit and boxes and you can bring electricity to something. If you're a delivery man, you, you can take product from point A to point B. You can accomplish something. You can look at the product of your hands and go, I did this today. What is the single most difficult thing of a law enforcement career? What on earth did I accomplish today? Rich will tell you I had a, a crisis of, of, of sorts in recent history. There was a, a murder that happened in California and it had nothing to do with my agency, nothing to do with anybody we ever supervised. But when I read the story, this was a guy who had been released from prison and had a, a criminal history a mile long. He'd been in and out of the system. He'd been on parole. He'd been on forms of supervision. And he killed an entire family. I looked at that and went, could have been any one of the people I've ever dealt with. What have I accomplished? What have I done that shows any sense of accomplishment? Do you want to talk about the world's hardest job? Do a job where you never see any accomplishment. You have no way to evaluate, did I do it right? That's hard. I'd like to add in that also a job to where you never hear two words. You never hear a thank you yeah. from anyone. So I'd like to encourage our brothers and sisters that listen to this episode. Next time you see a police officer, walk up to that officer, hand them a gospel tract, and just say thank you for your service. And I'd like to say this in closing, and I'll let you have the last whatever you'd like to say, brother. Tonight's episode was not planned <laughs> whatsoever. Our, our planned discussion was in a completely different direction. Everything tonight has been completely impromptu. My interview with Chris, everything he said, all of this was right off the cuff. So <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there yeah. to our listeners. Yeah, brother, I appreciate it. Um, it's been really hard not to be able to talk about this. And it's nice to be able to do it for once. Um, folks... I don't say any of the things that I just talked about. And you know what? We will have some fun stories about the the job in episodes to come. There will be better there will be better discussions. Nothing I said was so that you guys feel sorry for me. Um I will tell you my biggest besetting sin as a Christian in my final years at that in that job 
was going in and trying to do anything, I would struggle because I was so discouraged. I had spent so long in that career field and I just wanted to get to the end. And there were days where I would come in. I got X number of things I've got to accomplish today. And I'd sit at that computer to write out reports or whatever it was. And the overwhelming desire to do nothing was palpable because you just, you were broken. That was the besetting sin that I had because I had to fight with that. It was literally a daily prayer, hourly prayer. Lord, give me a desire to do my job. That's a sinful issue on my part because I have a duty that the Lord has given me to do my job. And if I'm not willing to be obedient to the Lord, that's a sin issue. So I don't say this as someone who was this king of his job. In fact, quite honestly, knowing the issues I dealt with internally when I was complimented for my job, it was sometimes surprising to me. Um, there were a lot of people within my career that expressed a great deal of respect for me, and I couldn't, I couldn't make that gel in my head because I knew the struggles that I had. So I say that as any employee of any career field, we all struggle with that. You know you have and so have I. So I don't say these things for some sort of sense of pity. I'm just being, tr trying to be honest about what this job was about. It's challenges, it's difficulties. There were th fun times. And I'll, I'll tell you guys some stories as we go on. Things that <laughs> when I think about them, I'm like, oh my word, how that could have gone wrong so many ways. Praise God for his provision. Um, and they were just, they were fun times. But this is a career, I don't see anybody telling firefighters or EMTs how evil they are because they do their job. Law enforcement is the one field where it's like, it's fair game. They're, you know, they've got to put their lives on the line, but it's fair game to beat them up because we don't like certain things about how our justice system or how our governmental system works. I will tell you the people that most greatly ministered to me through my most difficult times were the people who showed me compassion. Who understood I did a job that nobody else wanted to do. And they knew how difficult it would be. And they let me talk about it. And they came alongside and ministered to me. I value those brothers more than you can ever know. People like Rich, people like Chris Huff, people like Andrew Rappaport, people like my pastors, people like my wife, who showed me compassion, knowing I was facing immense emotional stress and came to me with the word of God. And showed compassion. 
Some of you need to learn that. It's okay to talk about bad things that law enforcement does. Totally fine with that. We need to be held accountable when we mess it up. And guess what? We mess up. But unless you want your mess-ups to be broadcast on the evening news every single day, and you would like to have the entirety of the nation judging you, maybe think about how you respond in those times. Because that's what we lived with. I'm not lying when I say I went to church one day and I broke down. And my pastor pulled me aside because I, I had to leave the sanctuary. I was breaking down in service. I had to leave the sanctuary and I had to step aside because I was ready to flow with tears. I was so hurting from what was going on in the culture at that time. Everything on the news, all the hatred for law enforcement. My pastor took hold of me and listened to me and ministered to me. When is the last time you did that for an officer? When is the last time you went to an officer, as my brother Rich said, thanked him for him or her for, her, for their service, gave them a gospel track, and asked, how can I pray for you? Because if you want law enforcement officers, I don't know, to actually trust you, interact with you, not treat you like a... Maybe treat them with an ounce of compassion so they don't feel like everybody's against them. Because a lot of times, everybody is. They already got to fight the darkness that you don't want to deal with. What makes you think they want to fight with you too? That's just my encouragement to you. I'm glad to have that stage of my life behind me because I look forward to what the Lord has for me next. Would I like to do more of this? Sure. Would I like to spend more time writing and, and videos and, and speaking to people about the things? God, oh man, you bet. But reality is, like everybody else, i got to pay the bills. So whatever it is that the Lord has next for me, I'm looking forward to it because I get to put that part of my life behind me. But I will always be grateful that the Lord took 24, almost 25 years of my life and formed me into the man that I am through some of the hardest trials that anybody can go through. And I just hope you guys can recognize that when you see those law enforcement officers on a news article or when they pull you over for speeding and you didn't think you should have got a ticket or you want to judge them because of something that, you know, some law or mandate that maybe is questionable that they should be enforcing. If I can encourage you in anything from this podcast, and we did not intend to have this conversation, like Rich said, 
show compassion. I'm not saying don't hold them accountable. Absolutely, please do. We, we drew from the same sinful pool of humanity that every one of your career fields draw from. Guess what? You, you got to deal with bad employees. So did we. But you don't want your career field maligned because there are bad employees inside of it. Please don't do that to ours. Hold them accountable, absolutely. Healthy skepticism, 100% support it. Broad-brushed attacks against law enforcement and hatred for law enforcement because it doesn't fit your paradigm. I got zero time or respect for. Respect and compassion, I'm down for that. Because I think scripture teaches us to do that. Yeah. Yeah, by all means, when it's necessary, speak like John the Baptist, speak like Christ, whitewash tombs uh, full of dead men's bones, right? Tell that fox, Herod, God, yeah, absolutely. There are times when you got to do it, and it's, it's biblical. But every one of us was commanded to esteem others as better esteem others better than ourselves every one of us was commanded by christ to show love and compassion every one of us was commanded to show kindness and mercy and if you can't do that and i don't care if it's my career field or anybody else's your argument is with christ not with me folks thank you (laughs) this was not the episode we intended to share this was not what we intended to put out today um especially i almost we didn't almost even have an episode because uh well let's just say the new microphone i bought did not like our old soundboard and i may need to have an upgrade of equipment here in the near future (laughs) Uh, the gremlins went full force (laughs) yeah it reminded me nearly eight years ago when we first got started and it would take us an hour and a half before we oh. could record because we couldn't get a recording to do go to go right or yeah sound would kick in and out it's been it was it, it was almost humorous to a point because it reminded me so much of when we first started and brother as you were talking it dawned on me that you and i have been associated with each other almost half of your career in law enforcement wowzers i didn't even think about that you're right oh my word that's insane (laughs) and we still have yet not yet met met face to face because none of us travel neither of us can travel very easily (laughs) yeah i think that's one thing people find the most amazing is the fact you and i have never met (laughs) face to face and we've been partners in this podcast for nearly eight years yeah and we were together in another one for like two, two and a half years. Yeah. So over over a decade of podcast experience, and we, because we live two time zones apart, we have yet, yet to meet face to face. Oh, the Lord has a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, all right. So we're gonna let you guys go tonight. The next pro, the next episode will not <laughs> will not be a trip down memory lane. Uh, and it certainly won't be a soapbox lecture. My, if I said anything that is offensive, please let me know. 
um, don't come to me and say, you don't understand. If you're going to send me that email, I'm not going to respond. Um, but if you believe that I was out of line and, and I need some sort of repentance, I, I'm open to being corrected on things. I, I always have voice of reason, radio, gmail.com, just direct it to Chris. I got no problem with that. Uh, if you want to gripe at me about, well, you don't understand whatever X, Y, Z, you're welcome to vo- email. We don't expect a response. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that game. I'm just not. Uh, but I hope if nothing else, what this may have done is maybe given you a perspective to think through and to recognize this is not an easy field, even when you're a Christian. It's hard. It's even harder being a Christian, actually. Yes, it really is. It really is. So let that inform you. And then first look to Scripture and understand the biblical principles that govern how you should view this. That's what we always encourage you to do. Then consider what we've talked about tonight. And then how do you respond to these things? My story is not what you should use as your focal lens. Scripture is. But may my stories, as we share them, help you to see the challenges that you don't know exist. And maybe that will inform you how to then rightly respond to things that happen in that career field, especially when they're wrong, because they will be. So thank you for spending time with us. <laughs> we can't, We come back after about a month, or a little over a month away, and here's a whiz-bang, punch-you-in-the-mouth kind of episode. <laughs> Um, I hope it was helpful, and I hope you guys tune in next week. Uh, We look forward to spending more time with you. Pray that the Lord will help us, if we need to update equipment, maybe get different programs or whatever so we can produce better content. Um, Please pray for that. Pray that the Lord helps Rich and I through the various challenges we're still navigating in, uh, in our personal lives. And uh, pray what we would never do is lose sight of Christ. That will be important in the next episode, that we have the mind of Christ. So thank you for spending time with us this week. We love you guys. God bless you all. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. Good night. God bless. We'll see you next time.